mentioned if you're online, if you go to the website every once in a while, the church website, at the top in the header, you'll be able to follow this up through the week. Ephesians 4. I don't know if you've ever given this any thought about the why we go to church. It's somewhat embedded in us that when you make a decision to follow Christ, that you instinctively know, and likely instinctively because somebody said it along the way, a family member, that you should go to church. And so you, you agree to that, perhaps without thinking, and you understand it's Sunday and I'm to go to church because I'm a Christ follower, and that's where I'm going to hear something from the Bible about Jesus or about doing the work of God. And that's true. But it's really only part of the story. Because if your approach is simply that, that I go to a place and I listen to a Bible study or a sermon and I participate a little bit in some singing and perhaps a congregational prayer, it's predominantly passive. There's a lot of sitting and a lot of listening. Now, I know you can actively listen and that the wheels can turn and you can be processing things as they're being said. But that's not the whole story about why we go to church. There needs to be an understanding that when you engage in church, you go to a local church, you participate with a, a, a group of believers, that wittingly or unwittingly, you're inviting those people into your lives and your spiritual journey. We've already seen that here, right? We've already seen a, a bunch of children that have been dedicated to the Lord. Parents saying, I'm going to take on the responsibility of raising my kids to know Jesus. But because we do it in church, we also understand that we expect the church to help us with that. And the church isn't the four walls. The church is the people. And so we are inviting people into our lives, understanding that they're part of the process of us growing in Christ. We, we grow in community. You may go home and have your Bible reading time. You may have your prayer time. We've coined the phrase 30 or 40 years ago, our personal devotions. And we make that sound like it's very private. I've got my personal devotions. You know, there's the stuff that God's doing here. And then there's my, my personal devotions. And there's the tendency to think that, well, that's my part. And then this is the collective part. And I don't think we should see it that way. That as important as it is for you to have your time with God in your space, it's also important to understand that that shouldn't be a wall. It, it should be more like a, um, a fence of some kind that's got lots of slats or lots of holes or lots of room so that there is a, a, an outflow and an inflow in your personal devotions. Let me explain to you how I know that this is correct. It's not just because I said so, but go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and there's a passage there that I want you to read. It begins in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. The, the words will come up, the verse will come up behind me. The Apostle Paul is the writer. He's one of the big shots in the local church in those days. 
The Apostle Paul says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, which is Christ, who is the head. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The premise here is that God gives gifts to the church in order to equip the church family to do the work. Not just to do the work, but also to grow in Christ-likeness. The goal is, is mentioned to us here or explained to us in verse 13. The goal is this. Look at verse 13. The goal for each and every one of us, from the youngest to the, to the oldest, from the shortest to the tallest, is until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's your goal. That's the biblical goal for you and for me. That we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, which means attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about spiritual goals in that way, but that's the goal. I could sum that up in, in, in perhaps just a quick phrase, to become like Christ. That's the goal. And the Bible tells us at the beginning in verse 11 that God gives us gifts. He gives us people. He gives us spiritual leaders. He gives us those that pour into our lives in order to help us reach the goal. If the goal was attainable on your own, God wouldn't have given those gifts to the church. There may be some of us that are perhaps a little spiritually arrogant to think that, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. And it's possible that you are the smartest, most spiritual person on the planet, and maybe you could do it on your own. But I want you to know that that is not the biblical example. If we say we're going to be people of the Word, and we're going to honor Christ by walking in the Word, then the Word tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and not only there, but in other places, but I'll stick to the text, that God gives us gifts to help us grow, to equip us, and to help us become like Christ. And if God didn't want other people to pour into our lives, that passage wouldn't be there, and the understanding of the passage wouldn't be there. It would basically just be this, we'll go it alone, do it on your own. You're smarter than everybody else anyways. You know that and they know that. You're more spiritual than them anyway, so go out and do it on your own. But it doesn't say that. It tells us that he gave gifts. I don't know if you've ever thought of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers as gifts. Sometimes you may have, depending on your relationships with them, thought of them as annoyances and, and something uh, like that. Perhaps getting on your nerves occasionally as we do our thing. But he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, in order that we might meet the goal, which is unity in the faith. 
The Bible, therefore, is telling us is that we need one another, that we can't be properly equipped and we can't attain the Christ-likeness, the measure of the Christ-likeness that we need without one another. And again, we see it visibly today. We have dedications. We have parents saying, I love my kids and I'm going to raise them to know Jesus. We have people being baptized in front of the church family saying, hey, look, you know what? I've made a personal commitment of my faith, but you've got people praying for them and praying over them, understanding the interaction of the body. The body is important. Look, if you don't want the body, then quit coming to church. Some have done that. But we're to do this in community. And, and all of the pluses and some of the minuses that, that that brings. Because when you're in community, when you're doing faith together, it doesn't always mean that it's smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that we always agree on everything or take the same approach to everything. But the Bible still says, do the work. Do this in community. You're going to be equipped better, and you're going to be more like Jesus if you do it in community. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to be as equipped as well, and you're certainly not going to be as mature as you need to be. So the Bible is telling us that we are to grow up in the Lord and that we need one another to do that. It's God's goal for you. So he gives us people or he sends people into our lives to help equip us, to help grow us spiritually, that we would have unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would become mature, meaning that we would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So in community, God gives us gifts. And the first part of that, verse 12, is to equip for, for us to do something in the body. That again, that we're not supposed to be just passive. There should be more to your church life than just coming to church. There should be more in your spiritual journey than just coming to church on Sunday and giving and listening and raising of hands and then going home. We understand that God wants to equip us for works of service, either inside the church or outside of the church, the place doesn't matter, but that we're active for God. Because activity, that kind of activity, when it takes us outside of the church walls, or it gets us working together with one another in the body, not only helps us to do something that is meaningful and worthwhile and helps others, but again, it's part of the growing. We grow better working together. We learn more about ourselves working together. We learn more about what it takes to work with others when we're in community. I talked about it last week, that the iron sharpens iron. If there's nobody else to sharpen ourselves against, then we become dull. The community is critical to doing the work of God and becoming like Jesus. So we are equipped for function purposes to do something constructive in the body. And also the second part of this, not just the doing, but the being. That we reach a mature understanding of faith, of Christ. That we grow up in that faith. And that we have the ability to discern the bad stuff and the bad people because this text talks about that. And understanding that maturity leads to unity and immaturity in the body 
leads to disunity. So there's some words I'd like for you to look for as you're reading from chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Mature infants and growth. So I think everybody knows that we're proud grandparents and we have one of our grandkids in the room today. And we do this every week, pretty much. How big is he today? So it's, you know, when he was born, he was seven pounds something. There he is right there. Now he's 12 and a half pounds and we're like, okay, five pounds, he's growing. The expectation, right, is that babies grow up and that not just physically, but emotionally as well, that people grow up, that the, the young or the infant-like behavior or the immature behavior eventually kind of goes the way of the dinosaur, that we eventually get beyond that because we are becoming adults, not just in age, but in emotional and spiritual maturity as well. And so the Bible reminds us here that we have gifts given to the church to help us grow up in our faith. That we learn to be unified in the faith. That we come to a, a quality understanding of the Son of God. And that we attain to the full measure of the fullness in Christ. We will never do that if we remain as infants. Babies, young people, young adults, we all need to grow up. And I don't want to put an age on this because sometimes those of us that are a little bit older can be immature as well, especially spiritually and emotionally. So the Bible tells us here that we are to, to grow up, that we are to utilize the gifts that God has given us that we might attain to the measure that God wants us to attain to. Here's why we need to do that. Immaturity leads to great spiritual risk. If you continue to read on in this passage, and I won't because I know our time is going by very quickly, but if you reread part of the passage again, one of the things that Paul says to the church at Ephesus is you have to be aware of false teachers and false doctrines. That there's people out there propagating things that ought not to be said, ought not to be taught. And the only way you're going to be able to discern whether or not that thing's real or not is by growing in your faith, by having a good understanding of the word, or occasionally leaning on mentors, spiritual mentors, that have a great understanding of the word. If you don't, and you can ask them, is this up or is this down? Is this good or is this bad? The reason why this is important is because generally false doctrine, false teaching, isn't something that's so crazy that you would automatically recognize it. It's generally a lot more subtle than that. Little differences, things as it relates to the person of Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, things that relate to the, the purpose of the body of Christ. Why is it there? Is it a good thing? Is it not a good thing? I mean, there's all kinds of doctrinal points that I could touch on, but generally false teachers don't come in and say something like this. You see this zebra here? It's an elephant. We know the difference between a zebra and an elephant. But when it comes to some of the finer-tuned stuff, we don't always recognize that. Thus, if we aren't maturing in the faith, we tend to chase stuff that we ought not to chase. And the people who bring it to the table, who are serving it up for us, 
I would suggest to you that in these days, we might want to take a far more urgent attitude to those that are propagating false teachings. Rather than just, oh, well, it's so-and-so, or oh, well, it's just that, and just kind of like fluff it off like it's no big deal. Because it is a big deal. The teachers and the teachings that are coming these days, whether it's from inside our local church, or it's from somewhere in California, or it's somewhere in Europe, it doesn't really matter where it comes from, whether the face is familiar or unfamiliar to us. We have to understand the importance of guarding against false teachers and false doctrine. Because it destroys people's faith. The Bible goes on to talk about another passage that not only does it just kind of impact the person, but it impacts the home. Paul says to one of his younger uh, pastors that it's destroying people's homes. Homes. We just talked about being the family. It's destroying people's homes. And when parts of this, this church family get blown up by false teaching and false doctrine, it affects us too. It isn't just them. It affects the friendships and the relationships. And so the Bible tells us to guard against that. Infants, if they don't grow up, need constant care. Now that's cute. Look at the little babies. They got babies everywhere. How you doing, Got a little one here, one there. Anybody else got a baby? Babies are good to be babies when they're babies, Right? Got to change their... I mean, that's profound. Write that down. That was good. Write that down. Okay? <laughs> you expect to feed them and change their diapers and all of that stuff and walk with them for days. Right? You expect that. Jessica. How would you like to carry Jessica around all day? <laughs> Jessica doesn't want to be carried around all day either. Jessica's a sturdy 50 pounds. I, I don't know what she is. But carrying seven pounds around all day is not like carrying 50. And let's get somebody that's a little bigger. Oh. Snap. I was going to go to Kat, who's, who's like got to be all of 90. That's no fun to carry around all day either. But then if you've got somebody my size, it's 185, Jim, just in case you're counting. <laughs> Not kilos, smart aleck. <laughs> you can't do that. Eventually, kids got to grow up and walk, carry themselves, do their own work as they get older, right? We can't be... A, a church of infants that don't discern good from bad aren't able to do the work of God or that when we've got people who should be adults by now that we're constantly carrying them. There needs to be the responsibility all on our own to grow up. Using the gifts that God has given us to grow up. To take care of ourselves spiritually. To be able to discern doctrine uh, that's false and teachers that are false, uh, to be able to get plugged into the body of Christ, 
to do something good for the kingdom so that the vast majority of the work isn't being done by the few and, and interconnecting with one another so that we get to know one another a little bit better and that we can be better influences on one another, even if it's informally sometimes and not informal. You already heard Chris and Jen talk about the power of small groups, how we got together in the small groups and we studied the word together and we prayed together and we laughed together and we cried together. All of that, those are just metaphors. Those are just indications of the sharing that went on, that went on back and forth, that we're learning and growing and supporting one another. That's healthy. You ought to laugh in church, and you ought to cry in church, and you ought to study the word, and you ought to be a support to one another. And those that are mentors ought to bring along those that are newer in the faith, but eventually those that are newer in the faith become the mentors. That's the way God caused it to be, called it to be. And all in all, always knowing, not just the focus on the doing, but becoming more and more like Christ Jesus. If we remain infants, we'll always crawl, we'll never walk, and we most certainly will never run. The Bible goes on to say, speak the truth in love. That's so important, right? There's probably a significant part of this you gathered here today that are truth speakers. You call it like my dad would say this. Let me do a Keith for you. Call it the way I see it, right? The problem with that is that calling it the way you see it, if it isn't immersed in love, just becomes blunt. It's just blunt. It's like a sledgehammer. It's like an axe. You may be right, but nobody's listening because your tone is so poor. The Bible tells us in the church we have the responsibility to speak the truth in love. Let me focus on the two things here. First of all, we have responsibility to speak truth. Now, truth comes better in relationship. But we're called to speak the truth. Now, the truth that they're focused on here is the word of God. Don't lose the context. The Bible is the truth here that it's talking about. But also, all of the things that the Bible talks about is truth. So it's not just saying, yeah, I know the Bible's truth. It's whatever the Bible says is truth. We have responsibility to speak truth to one another. You will grow much better if people can be honest with you. If they can speak the truth to you. And if you can speak the truth to them. That's part of the growing. Where we need people who can speak truth into us. Sometimes even those of us who are pastors can be immature and we need somebody to speak the truth to us. But all of us need the truth spoken to us. Or we're likely to be on a pathway that's going to be very unhealthy. But remember that that truth must be spoken in love. Sometimes we want to speak the truth because we just got an itch that needs to be scratched. And I need to get this off my chest. So look out, Jerome, here I come. <laughs> Barrels are both loaded, boom, boom. That's not what God wants us to do. 
in body, in the body, if we're going to grow in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ, we speak the truth to one another in love. Because all of us at some point or another are going to need truth spoken into our hearts, and we're only likely going to respond to it appropriately if we feel that the person speaking to us really cares about us and about my personal growth and about maybe redirecting me from some error or mistake that I'm making. But you can't go to church, folks, pardon me for being blunt. You can't go to church and say this. I'm in my own little space, just like I'm at home when I'm doing my personal devotions. I'm in my own little space, and nobody tells me anything except for God. And God's the only one that can speak into my life. So when I come to church and I do this, I want you to know that there are rules. You can't really engage me. You can't really speak the truth into my life, and I'm not likely going to want to speak the truth into your life. I'm just kind of here for an hour and a half, and then I disappear again, and then I come back and I, you know, a week later and do this all over again. But there's no accountability or responsibility to the body. Folks, if that's your understanding of church, you're missing a big part of it. If your attitude is, is nobody can speak into my life, nobody can tell me, you know, that maybe I'm doing something wrong, nobody can offer some redirection, assuming that they're speaking the truth in love, nobody can do that, then you're going to remain stunted spiritually. You're not accessing the gifts that God has given to you and to me. You're not going to mature. You're going to remain an infant Unless you are willing to say, I'm part of a body, I'm part of a family, and they can speak into my life. I, I could say more. Let me just give you an illustration from my sister-in-law, Mary. My sister-in-law, Mary, is not a Christ follower. In fact, as, as much as Mary and I get along really, really well, Mary has no real interest in church or God or anything. Mary comes from uh, a broken family. And uh, I got to know my sister-in-law, Mary, when I was about five years old because my brother Brian is 13 years older than me and so he started dating her when I was just a kid and um, because she was a part of our family so early and her family was broken Mary Carney became a Mary Horner even before she married my brother Brian and uh, Horner's got lots of faults you know, you hear me talk a little bit about some of my family and my dad, and trust me, Brent's got lots of faults too. But Mary used to say this, I can say whatever I need to say to a family member, but nobody else can. Blood is thicker than, right? So we'll pick on the Reves because there's a bunch of them here. So, you know... Joanne can say something about Kat or Kat can say something about Joanne or Grandma or something like that. But if Brent comes in and says something, Kat or Grandma or, or Joanne are going to bust Brent's nose. Because Brent doesn't get to comment on that. That's family stuff. I respect that. Nobody should stick their nose in where it doesn't belong. The Bible refers to that as meddling. We shouldn't do that. Because the right to speak into one another's lives comes from family, comes from blood. So let me take it where you know I'm going. This is supposed to be family. The blood is the blood of Christ, which is the gateway into the family. You need me, and I need you. You need to be truthful to me, and I need to be truthful to you. 
we all need to grow up so we can handle that truth spoken in love. Because if not, we're going to get stuck. We're going to fall into falsity, falsities. That's a word. And, and we're never going to grow to the full measure of the fullness of Christ and be mature. And what Jesus wants you to do, being more than anything else, is to grow up and be mature in him. So that you do good for him and that we do good for one another for him. That's a healthy body. A healthy body is not a church without problems. A healthy body is a church that handles problems in healthy ways. We're never going to be immune from problems or differences. But how we manage those problems says a great deal about our maturity. So let's grow up, do something great for the kingdom, be those ordinary people on a remarkable journey to an extraordinary place, and let's be good iron on iron to one another as well so that you and I can get to where we need to be in the faith so that we can help others get to where they need to be in the faith as well. Can you say amen? amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for your time. For the mums that are here, just before I pray, we've got a carnation for all the mums in attendance. Please don't ask for a second one for somebody's at home or somebody's wherever. It's not that we can't afford it. We just want to make sure that everybody that is here gets theirs. If we have some extras, we'll be happy to distribute them as well. But moms, just so you know, as you're leaving, Jess will be at one door, Carmen will be at the other door, and they've got a carnation for you today. And we do pray that you have a wonderful Mother's Day. Father, today we thank you for the body. We thank you that we've seen the body in action through the dedication of children, through parents saying, I'm doing this in front of the church because I realize I have a role and I realize the church has a role. Being baptized in front of the church family. Why? Because it's a public declaration of faith saying, Jesus is working in my life. We are so grateful for what you're doing in the family. God, help us to grow together. Help us to be equipped together. Help us to speak the truth together. Help us to build one another up. Help us to get beyond the infancy where we need constant care and to be carried around all of the time. Lord, that we might grow up into you who is the head, that we might become truly like Jesus in every way. I pray that that's the goal of every believer here and that they realize we need others to help us get there. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great Mother's Day. Have a great family day. Amen.